It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This would normally be the lame duck period when the outgoing president has his hands tied and all eyes are on the incoming administration. But nothing about this transition is normal. Last week, Donald Trump became the first American president in history to be impeached twice after 10 members of his own party voted against him. This vote, the ayes are 232, the nays are 197, the resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. With a Senate trial looming and the inauguration just days away, what happens next? In this episode, we look to the past to understand what might be coming. Our long national nightmare is over. Our Constitution works. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the impeachment. Lessons from the past. January has become impeachment season. In fact, I was putting on my coat the other day because it was relatively cold in central Texas, and I reached into my pocket and found a pass to the impeachment hearings of Donald Trump last year. And I thought, what's old is new again. There's an element of deja vu for Mark K. up the grove as he watches what's becoming an annual ritual, the impeachment of Donald Trump. For Mark, though, there are other parallels too. As a presidential historian who's written four books and interviewed five presidents, there's not much he hasn't seen before. But these are unprecedented times. There have been four days in American history that have shaken the country to its core. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. The Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, by air, President Roosevelt has just announced. The attack also was made on all naval and military activities on the principal island of Oahu. The first was December 7th, 1941, when the Japanese surprise attacked Pearl Harbor, bringing America directly into World War II. And at that moment, that dark moment in our history, Franklin Roosevelt said, 
that it was a day which will live in infamy. About 10 or 15 minutes ago, a tragic thing from all indications at this point has happened in the city of Dallas. We saw another on November 22nd, 1963, with the assassination of John F. Kennedy in Dallas. It's 8.52 here in New York. I'm Brian Dumble. We understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. You're looking at the uh, World Trade Center. And on September 11th, 2001, with the attack by al-Qaeda in New York, bringing down our World Trade Towers and penetrating the Pentagon. What could compare to those three moments when the whole world stood still and history gasped? Well. And we saw a fourth on January 6th, 2021, with the siege on our capital, which will be looked upon in history as a day which will live in infamy. So a lot of people have used a lot of different words to describe these scenes. Sedition, a coup, an assault on something sacred, not just on the building, but democracy itself. And all this at the end of Donald Trump's presidency, which does end two weeks today. We've had our capital attacked before, the citadel of democracy. But it was from uh, your nation, it was from the UK. The War of 1812, it happened in 1814, but that was an invading nation. This was our own citizens rising up and antithetically trying to take the country back. It, it's hard to process. All of us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen by emboldened radical left Democrats, which is what they're doing. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Today, we will see whether Republicans stand strong for integrity of our elections. We have seen division in our country. Uh, that's an inherent part of who we are. Lady Bird Johnson said during the very tempestuous, very turbulent 1960s, the clash of ideas is the sound of liberty. But we don't see our own citizens rising up against our own government. And what makes it even more striking is that it was incited by our own president. We haven't seen an attack on our government orchestrated by our own commander-in-chief, and that makes this very, very difficult to process. Was there a moment during that day, while you were watching it all unfold, when you thought, this can't just be another story that causes outrage and then gets ignored? You know, this has to have consequences. There were so many. I guess what startled me is how big it was, how widespread, how many people had descended on the Capitol and felt the same way that our government needed to be overthrown. And they were willing to kill in order to achieve their ends. That, I think, is one of the things that I found so hard to process. The fact that it's gone this far. But Donald Trump came in an angry insurgent, and he will go out an angry insurgent.
So here we go again. Donald Trump has been impeached after Congress voted in favour of the president facing charges. But Trump won't be removed from the White House early or face any punishment, like losing his presidential pension or being barred from standing for office again, unless he's found guilty after a trial in the Senate. That's the next stage. And last year, when Donald Trump was last impeached, that's where the process hit a wall. The Republican-controlled Senate voted in favour of Trump, finding him not guilty. If you've forgotten some of the details of what happened last January, you're in luck. Here's a quick summary. Donald Trump called the president of Ukraine and threatened to withhold aid if he didn't help him dig up dirt on Joe Biden's son, which would hurt Joe Biden politically. I think Trump anticipated that Biden would be the standard bearer of the Democratic Party, his chief rival, and he wanted to do everything he could to undermine his presidency. So preemptive electoral interference, really. That's exactly what it is. I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. The president must be held accountable. No one is above the law. It is electoral interference, and that is frowned upon in our nation. That simply is something that cannot happen. You can't have foreign powers tampering in an election. This is something that our our founding fathers were very wary of. They talked about it openly. And here is Donald Trump practicing it. It was an impeachment process that should have gone forward. No person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two-thirds of the members present. The question is on the first article of impeachment. Senators, how say you? Is the respondent, Donald John Trump, guilty or not guilty? A roll call vote is required. The clerk will call the roll. Mr. Alexander. Not guilty. Mr. Alexander, not guilty. Ms. Baldwin. Ms. Baldwin, guilty. Mr. Barrasso. Not guilty. Mr. Barrasso, not guilty. Mr. Bennett. Guilty. Mr. Bennett, guilty. Mrs. Blackburn. Not guilty. Mrs. Blackburn, not guilty. If it was a clear-cut case, as you say, there were recorded phone calls, there was a lot of evidence... And you said the impeachment process really should have gone ahead. Why didn't it? Why did the Senate vote against a conviction? Well, principally, it was political. Donald Trump had a majority in the Senate. There were many Republican senators who were unwilling to see the crime for what it was. They were deeply concerned about their own political future. And if they had voted for the conviction of Donald Trump, it would have meant that they were very vulnerable in their re-election bids. They would have been attacked by Donald Trump, likely on Twitter and through other means, and in all likelihood would have had a primary candidate opposing them for office, jeopardizing their candidacy. So will politics play a part this time around? Well, it's more complicated. Loyalty to the outgoing president within Republican ranks is waning. Some politicians see this as an opportunity to reclaim their party from the toxic grip of the Trump family. For others, the events of January the 6th 
were an alarming jolt. They may have turned a blind eye to the president's previous misdemeanors, but this time it was personal. Republicans, as well as Democrats, were under attack as rioters stormed the Capitol. The vote to impeach Donald Trump was backed by 10 Republican congressmen. And Mitch McConnell, the powerful leader of the Republicans in the Senate, whose backing ensured that Donald Trump wasn't impeached last time, is now reported to be telling senators to vote with their conscience and not just with their party. For Democrats, though, the timing is awkward. This impeachment comes as the presidency is on the cusp of change. Some fear that Donald Trump's Senate trial would overshadow Joe Biden's inauguration and the crucial first few weeks of his presidency. The question is, what happens in the Senate now? And Mitch McConnell, our Senate Majority Leader, has said he would pursue this on January 19th, the day, awkwardly, before the inauguration of Joe Biden. In many ways, this is striking when you compare it to what happened with Richard Nixon in 1974, the cover-up of that break-in to the Democratic National Committee's headquarters in the Watergate Hotel. There was further evidence that Nixon had participated in this, and then there was a smoking gun which showed definitively on tape that Nixon was involved in that cover-up, and that was really his undoing. But at the time when we saw the impeachment process play out, the difference was that the senators and representatives involved in it, Democratic and Republican alike, were deeply concerned that the president had abused his power and were willing to take action to ensure that he was penalized for doing so and in all likelihood removed from office. So when that evidence came forward definitively linking Nixon to the crime of covering up the Watergate break-in, he was visited in the Oval Office by three Republican stalwarts, including Barry Goldwater, the iconic conservative Republican and the Republican minority leader of the Senate and the Republican minority leader of the House. And they all said that he would face certain impeachment in the House and likely conviction in the Senate. And Nixon, although he said it was abhorrent to every bone in his body, reluctantly resigned the presidency in order not to put the country through a very divisive impeachment and Senate trial. Nixon put ultimately the needs of the office and the American people above himself, which clearly Donald Trump is incapable of doing. Last time, Donald Trump had the support of his party. Now, it seems like there are rumblings of discontent within the Republicans. After the horror of January the 6th, will they be as loyal to the president as they were last year? I think this is different. This might be, for many a bridge too far. And I'm very hopeful that our Republican senators will think less about their political future and more about the eyes of history and the precedent it would set if we didn't penalize this president for these seditious, treasonous acts. But for the president to be found guilty would require two-thirds of the Senate's 100 members to vote for a conviction. So at least 17 Republican senators would need to vote against Donald Trump. 
And if you look at our Senate now, we are dead even at 50-50. We have 50 Republican senators and 50 Democratic senators. Kamala Harris, as the president of the Senate, is the tiebreaker. And my suspicion is there will be a handful of Republican senators who choose to convict the former president when the trial plays out. And it's going to be Mitt Romney, who voted for his conviction the first go-around, last January, and moderates perhaps like Ben Sass and others. But there will only be a handful, and I'm quite certain that we won't see a majority, a two-thirds majority. Why is that? What do you think will be playing on their minds? You know, we saw, for example... Lindsey Graham, who's been a Trump loyalist up until recently, he delivered a speech in which he acknowledged that Joe Biden had won the election and then he was suddenly hounded through an airport by Trump supporters hurling abuse and threats at him. Is there a fear of that amongst Republicans? Without question, it's a political fear. They're worried about their viability in the future. By casting a vote to convict Donald Trump, you are essentially alienating that part of your constituency. And for those Republicans in heavily Republican states, that could be the death nail of your political career. One of the Republican senators who's continued to back President Trump is Ted Cruz. We are gathered at a time when democracy is in crisis. Recent polling shows that 39% of Americans believe the election that just occurred, quote, was rigged. Another Republican who's been waving the flag for Donald Trump and claiming the election was stolen is Senator Josh Hawley. You've got 74 million Americans who feel disenfranchised, who feel like their vote doesn't matter. And this is the one opportunity that I have as a United States senator. This process right here, my one opportunity to stand up and say something. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. So there are political calculations being made. I think some senators will vote their conscience. Uh, Mitt Romney did the first go around very courageously, in my opinion. But most, I think, will again look at this as a political calculation. It's very difficult to tell just how many Republicans will put politics aside for this impeachment. But what about the politics on the Democrat side? Is this finally an opportunity to take on Donald Trump? Or is the timing of this impeachment actually quite inconvenient? No president would want to start his time in office in a manner like this. This is really unfortunate because you have the fate of Donald Trump hovering over the country like a a dark cloud, and it makes it very difficult for Joe Biden to get on to address the crises that he faces as president, including a pandemic that still needs to be resolved and an extraordinarily divided country. So thinking about Donald Trump's legal fate just complicates things for Joe Biden and increases the divisions, the polarization that we see in our country naturally right now. So nobody would want this, but I don't see if there's any way to avoid it. The Senate trial is coming, but what can we expect from Donald Trump's defense? We'll have more in just a moment. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit times.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? 
I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something year old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. The new series Queenie is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. Donald Trump is in an unusual position. Being impeached for a second time means we've seen how his team has handled the process before. The campaign lines, the messaging. So can we predict what Donald Trump's defence will be this time round? We've seen him deny things time and time again. That's Donald Trump's go-to place. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. Harry Truman famously had a sign on his desk in the Oval Office that said, the buck stops here. And the buck has never stopped with Donald Trump. It's been interesting watching him since January the 6th. Obviously, he's lost his usual platforms for communicating with people. He's off Twitter. He's off social media. But he has started releasing these videos. I would like to begin by addressing the heinous attack on the United States Capitol. Like all Americans, I am outraged by the violence, lawlessness, and mayhem. I've heard some people describe them as hostage videos, where he's suddenly turning his back on the protesters and distancing himself from their actions. Is that what he'll argue, that he didn't approve of what happened and he certainly didn't incite it? That will certainly be his case, but it's not credible. We saw with Charlottesville, the true Donald Trump. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you did. When there were Nazis marching in Charlottesville, these were fringe groups before. But Donald Trump has given them credibility. He has emboldened them. And he he has never wanted throughout the course of his presidency to alienate them because he wanted their support. And that is true now. When the Capitol was under siege, we heard him say they were special people. This was a fraudulent election, but we can't play into the hands of these people. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are So bad and so evil. I know how you feel. But go home and go home in peace. 
What happens in terms of the next few days? How does this play out? Well, I don't know. This is all unprecedented territory. There is a reason that when a president dies in office, the incoming president takes the oath of office in a way that shows the world the peaceful transfer of power. Constitutionally, there is no need for the vice president who then becomes the president upon the assassination or the death of his predecessor to take the oath of office. But he does it to show the world that power has been transferred. I think the challenge of Joe Biden is showing a really arresting, really compelling manner that power has clearly been transferred from Donald Trump. And for Joe Biden, in terms of bringing the country together, what about the diehard Trump supporters across the country who are protesting, they're storming the Capitol, we're expecting more protests through the inauguration. What happens to them now? Is this becoming a civil war? I think it depends on how many Americans decide to put partisanship aside. It it is typical for a president to sound a message of unity, particularly in times of great division. Abraham Lincoln did in 1861 when he took the presidency. George W. Bush more recently, when there was the contested election of 2001, said the word civil or civility 12 times in his inauguration speech. Today, we affirm a new commitment to live out our nation's promise through civility, courage, compassion, and character. America at its best matches a commitment to principle with a concern for civility. A civil society demands from each of us goodwill and respect, fair dealing, and forgiveness. Civility is not a tactic or a sentiment. It is the determined choice of trust over cynicism, of community, over chaos. Americans did rally around George W. Bush, particularly when America was attacked just nine months into his presidency. So I'm hopeful that Americans, because we are so proud as a nation, decide to support the 46th president of the United States when he takes the helm. But there's no certainty of that because Donald Trump has been so effective in sowing the seeds of of discord. President Biden, as he comes into office, will be looking to try to unite the nation. Do you think there's a chance that he might grant Donald Trump a pardon, if necessary, to do it? Well, as we know, Gerald Ford did that with Richard Nixon. He did that, I think, for a good reason. There were issues that America faced at that time, most significantly Uh, rampant inflation that was paralyzing our economy and an unfinished war in Vietnam. And he didn't believe that he could address those effectively if the fate of Richard Nixon hung over America. And at the time, two-thirds of Americans disagreed with that decision. That would invert, by the way, by the time Gerald Ford died. Two-thirds of Americans would see the wisdom of that pardon, which probably cost Gerald Ford, the 1976 election. And I I believe it was the right thing to do to heal America at that time. I don't believe that is the right thing for Donald Trump. But I want to make one point about what happened. And I think it's very important for Americans to understand and citizens of the world to understand. And that is that while Donald Trump 
fought democracy. Democracy won. Gerald Ford, upon taking the presidency, addressed the American people and said, our long national nightmare is over. Our constitution works. We are a nation of laws and not men. Here, the people rule. My fellow Americans, our long national nightmare is over. Our constitution works. Our great republic is a government of laws and not of men. Here, the people rule. What we saw on January 6th was a national nightmare. I think it will stir in our consciousness for a good long while to come, and that's a good thing. Donald Trump, for whom being labeled a loser is abhorrent, will ultimately be seen in history as a loser, not just for losing the election, but for losing his fight against democracy in 2020 and 2021. You started by saying, in terms of the historical context, you know, January the 6th would be up there with Pearl Harbor, the assassination of JFK, 9-11. How do you think the Trump presidency will be remembered? Usually it takes a generation to sort out a presidential legacy. For instance, Lyndon Johnson's a great example, our 36th president. When he left office, the dark cloud of Vietnam hovered over his legacy. Now, that's a rightful part of his legacy. But as further distance occurred, we began to see the important reform that happened during the course of his time in office. He gave us civil rights. He gave us federal aid to education. He gave us Medicare and Medicaid and all these incredibly progressive laws that essentially formed the foundation for modern America. But it took a good long time for us to sort out all of those pieces of his legacy. With Donald Trump, it won't take that long. And while he talked about this policy of America first, Donald Trump always put Donald Trump first. He never put America first. And to my mind, that's the difference between him and the 44 men who preceded him. Every president I can think of naturally put the office and by extension the needs of the American people over his own personal and political interests. Donald Trump failed to do so. And I think that's the, the probably the worst thing that you can say about Donald Trump. He never was able to live up to the majesty of the office of the presidency. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, presidential historian and author, Mark K. Upthegrove. The producers today were Leona Hamid and Asia Fuchs. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Falcon Kisseltuk. If you get a chance, please do leave us a review. And if you have a story that you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, please do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. 
In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 